0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Introvert Theater Podcast. This is Sergio yet again. I typically post episodes on a bi weekly basis every other Tuesday, so this episode's coming a bit later than scheduled, <clears throat> and I'll touch on that later. But today I'll be covering T2 Train Spotting, or Train Spotting 2. It was released in 2017, about 21 years after the original Train Spotting, and is once again directed by Danny Boyle, based loosely on the book Porno by Irvin Welsh. It once again stars Ewan McGregor as Renton, Ewan Bremner as Spud, Johnny Lee Miller as Simon, A.K.A. Sick Boy, Robert Carlyle as Franco, A.K.A. Begbie. Thinking about it now, I'd say this film is about parallels in these characters' lives and um, questions whether people are truly capable of change. On a personable level, I th- on a personal level, I believe this is possible if someone's given the opportunity. However. I also feel some people are incapable of change, too. I suppose it all really comes down to quality of life and what that person chooses to do with the time that they're given. That said, each of these characters experiences situations that are analogous to experiences in the first film in their own unique ways. So I'm going to talk about specific examples of each without giving too much away and to um, talk about the theme of change specifically. So we'll start with Renton. By this point, he's 46 years old. The movie kicks off with him running on a treadmill. His hair has grown out, and he's put on some healthy weight. Suddenly, he stops and slides off the treadmill and is lying on the floor motionless. We later in the film find that this was a form of cardiac arrest. While he's laying there, an instrumental version of Lou Reed's Perfect Days" playing, as we see a flashback of the main character's all his children playing soccer. Now, you'll notice this scene is similar to Renton's other brush with, with death in the first film, which is also set to the same song, Perfect Day. Naturally, he survives, and he takes a, um, we'll say, nostalgic trip back to Edinburgh. Next, we'll move on to Spud. We find out that he's unfortunately still an addict, has separated from his wife, Gail, and lost custody of his son, Fergus. He's uh, more of a sympathetic character this time around in that we see him attend meetings to try and get help, but he's so far gone. In fact, early in the film, he attempts suicide by overdose and even wraps a plastic bag around his head. Thankfully, this plan is foiled when Renton swings by um, his place to, you know, just check in on him. Renton sees the suicide note that he's written and asks Bud not to try it again and sort of takes him under his wing and tries to guide him down a road of sobriety. As for Simon, her sick boy, he's running a pub that was left to him by his aunt. It's seen better days and has lost business due in part to gentrification, and he actually has a a side hustle going. And that's basically basically him uh, setting up blackmailing schemes with his Bulgarian girlfriend, Veronica. What they do is they um, they catch people in compromising sexual positions and record those lewd acts unbeknownst to their clientele, and basically extort them for a pretty penny in exchange for um, keeping those recording session, keeping those recording or recorded sessions on the down low. His encounter with Renton results in a fistfight at the pub, and with him being paid his share of the four thousand pounds he's owed from Renton. Despite that, he sees this offer as an insult and tells Veronica that he's going to coax Renton into um, thinking that they can patch things up and become friends again, only for the sole purpose of exacting revenge. And last but certainly not least, we've got Begbie. Or Franco. And Franco's in jail and is told by his lawyer that he has to serve another five years. Naturally, Begbie flips out and attacks his lawyer. He later escapes by faking a wound, which is a self-inflicted wound, that has sent him straight to the hospital. Disguised as a doctor, he makes his way home to his wife and son, Frank Jr., where he finds he's suffering from a bit of erectile dysfunction, or erectile dysfunction, yes, and um, that he can't perform. He also finds that his son is studying hotel management and immediately gets him into burglary just, just to make some quick cash. Later, he checks in on on Simon. He actually visits the pub, and together they plot out their revenge against Renton. So Renton returning to Edinburgh is sort of the the catalyst for everything in this film. It's what sets the story in motion and allows us to experience the highs and lows for each of these characters. In fact, there are some scenes that directly mirror others in the first film, and I think they hold some relevance here. Uh, for example, Renton returning home and sitting at the at the dinner table with his father and an empty seat where his mother used to sit is shot exactly the same way as it was in the original. And it's in such a way that their shadows are kind of cast off to the side, making it look as if there's there's more people sitting beside them at the table. This scene is effective here in that the mother's shadow can be seen occupying her chair, as Renton is told about her death. So it's kind of unsettling or creepy, but it hits the right chords because sometimes, I guess, seeing loss is just as effective as being told about it. There's another scene that involves Renton being chased by a knife-wielding Begbie down the streets of Edinburgh, which sees Renton almost hit by a car. He pauses, leans against the hood of the car, staring at the driver and into the camera effectively, and smiles, that familiar, that familiar smile from the original. It's as if he recognizes the redundancy and can't help but laugh at the fact that nothing's really changed. As far as the music goes, there's even parallels in the music choices. For example, Born Slippy by Underworld is played a few times throughout this film, but it's a slower and more tame version by comparison to the original, which I feel is done intentionally to kind of reflect the um, the change and the passage of time. While Atomic by Blondie is used in the original in the club scene, uh, Blondie's Dreaming is used here in a scene that has um, Simon, Renton, Veronica, and Spud pitching in to remodel the top floor of the pub into a new business venture. So it's, it's, it's uh, more of a positive light, I guess, this time around. More importantly, though, Iggy Pop's Lust for Life makes a return. When Renton walks into his old room, which his mother left exactly as it was, he removes the Lust for Life vinyl from its sleeve and plops it on his record player. He immediately removes the needle after the first second of the song starts, which is meant to show how even music can trigger or affect us even years later. Even him listening to that record makes him uncomfortable, and it should be noted that at the end he's finally able to listen to it, though... It's a remixed version, which I felt is representative of his change in mindset by the end of the film. Naturally, there's a lot I'm leaving out, and that's by intention. I think each of these characters have a story arc that eventually leads us to an answer to the initial question of whether or not people are capable of change. To that I say, yes, absolutely. Renton confides in Simon by telling him about his divorce and eventual termination from his job back in Amsterdam, and that he feels that he cannot go back, which leads to one of the best lines in the movie, which is him telling Simon, I'm a 46 and I'm fucked. It's a sentiment that I think a lot of us can relate to some years later and makes it that much sweeter to see him succeed in his own small way and sort of rebuild his life, even though it may not be perfect or ideal. Sick Boy is left to decide whether or not his friendship with Renton means anything anymore, and this question is ultimately what saves a life by the end. Begby's the only character that is a shining example of someone that cannot change and is unwilling to. There's a great scene where he encounters Spud and asks him to read one of his stories to him that he's been writing down. These stories are a collection of memories that he'd been that he had been inspired by Veronica to sort of jot down and turn into an uh, turn into a, an eventual book. The story he chooses involves a time when they were yo- when they were all younger, and they're hanging out in an abandoned railway station and they're approached by a drunk. The wino walks up to Begbie and Begbie's the most subdued he's ever been, only because they all realize that the drunkard is his father. So while this encounter. excuse me, doesn't excuse his behavior from that point forward. It at least gives us a peek at what enforced his behavioral patterns. So to wrap this up, I think this is a more than worthy sequel and feels more like an exploration of themes of friendship, change, growth, and acceptance in a lot of ways. I think we in some way can relate to to experiencing déjà vu in our lifetime and oftentimes those moments force us to um sit and think about why things can feel so repetitious or repetitive, and what we can do to better our situations in those moments so I wanted to <clears throat> also take this this entry or I guess end this entry by taking a negative and turning it into a positive and that and that requires me to talk about the last uh, couple of days so i um I lost my grandmother towards the beginning of the month, and even still, it's kind of weird to think about, much less say out loud. But I think that's something I needed to acknowledge, even within myself. Uh, All the condolences in the world don't make it any easier, especially, you know, the day of the wake and it it just seems so surreal even up to now because it, it all goes by in the flash of an eye you know from the time that she left um this world to the wake to the burial it just those couple of days just really seemed like several hours really but at the end of the day what's kept me going has been uh taking time away from social media uh focusing more on myself uh listening to music watching films, of course, and various other things. So if you're out out there and you're experiencing something similar, um, reach out if you need to. You know, it's it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to experience. It's nothing that you should be ashamed of, Um, you know, in terms of feeling how you feel. Get out there, express yourself in any way possible, And keep that, keep that person's memory alive. You know, I have a lot to go off of. I have, um, some really great memories of my grandmother, and I'm very fortunate to have had her in my life. And ultimately, that's, that's kind of what's helped me get through it. You know, just keeping, uh, keeping those memories alive and thinking about all the good and the fun times that we've had. um, Just kind of make th- makes things easier. And I feel like I can function <laughs> properly, I guess. So with that, uh, the next episode will be posted on Tuesday, October 5th, and then every other Tuesday from then. I'm not sure what movie I'll be covering at that point, but uh, keep in touch via social media if you want to follow. I have an instagram for this podcast which is at introvert theater and for those listening thanks for listening as always take care and enjoy the rest of the week